0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And as I was saying that, I was picturing in my mind what it would sound like if we did actually do a rebrand and what I was supposed to be saying. Uh, I forgot what the the fab one was supposed to be.
1: Yeah, it's it's something cult related. Yeah, Uh, fab doctrination or something like that. I don't remember.
0: Anyway, so someone suggested the GG podcast, which yeah, that's would good. use yeah a similar model to the game podcast, which was Jerry, Andrew, Michael, and this one could be Jerry and Gottlieb, and it's like yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, it's weird we never. I mean, people don't know this, but we spent what hundreds of hours trying wait, to like do our rebrand? Yeah, way I, too much
0: time. The, the problem with it is that like I'm bad at that kind of stuff. Like if you gave me multiple choice. Yeah, I'll crush it. Right. But the, then it was like, oh, I have to pick a thing myself. And I asked some people because I know that I'm weak in in this area. You know, uh, no one ever suggested GG. But I also think that then we would have to do a lot of stuff with like SEO and making sure that, you know, I'm sure there are just 100 of those podcasts out there already. Yeah,
1: right? so. yeah, that's true. Also, I remember we were looking at like dot GG domains. So would we have been GG dot mm, GG.
0: Podcast GG. I don't know. I don't. It's weird. Anyway, still thinking about it. It's it's like we just shipped a bunch of merch to you. It's just like, come on. I don't know. Might ironically be stuck with this silly name.
1: I think so. I've mostly given up on the idea of rebranding. Because I like I look at us as almost a legacy service now. Like the people who are still here, still with us. It's just like they've been with us for a long time. They like us. They they have subscribed to our particular brand of bullshit. And part of our brand of bullshit is that we have a podcast name that is in no way related to what we talk about. And we'll keep that rolling this week, by the way, as we talk about Pioneer, a format that is not on Arena, and ignore the various- Mm, Close. uh, Getting closer. uh, It's getting closer. It's getting closer. And and ignore the various Arena offerings, be it made-up sealed formats or made-up constructed formats. Just we'll not be touching on those uh, instead. Doing a little paper talk with Pioneer.
0: Yeah, and looking at Magic Online decklist, perhaps. Right. So, big big game. I already won an RCQ. I have attended a few RCQs. I'm attending another RCQ this weekend. We have established that I cannot play in them. So yes. I'm kinda I'm kinda chilling. The last weekend, Josh Show played some pioneers, so we had to work on that a little bit. And then I was just kind of like being the chauffeur and It gave me a reason to actually go get my car fixed, get my air conditioner fixed, because if I'm going to be chauffeuring, you know, I need my person to be comfortable, right? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But first, I want to, I know that you played in in a Pioneer RCQ and kind of want to talk about that a little bit more and hear about what you have going on in the future. But first, I guess we have a clarification because we both kind of blew it.
1: Yeah, well, everyone involved blew it. Uh, we, we spent a lot of time last week talking about my Pioneer RCQ where I played Lotus Field, lost in the top eight to Mono Green, and talked a, a bunch about a situation in the top eight where uh, I, I was planning a turn and I had to answer a Damping Sphere and I was trying to play around uh, recursive abilities, particularly the backside of Pestilent Cauldron and uh, the, the sorcery on the back of it, Restorative Burst. Turns out that card can't – it can't get Damping's sphere back. It did in my matchup, and as I mentioned, I was playing a friend of mine, and we spoke about this afterwards. Uh, he was as confused as I was. Like, mentally, I had shortcutted this card to just, like, double regrowth.
0: And in that deck, it mostly does do that. Right, right, uh,
1: for sure, with, like, this big exception that completely changes uh, the game. I mean, I definitely – I easily win the game too i just any turn where damping sphere was not in play i had all the tools to go off so uh blew this one this is one where like I-, I talked a bit in our discord afterwards where it's very easy to be like oh it's not fair i i could have won this tournament and it wasn't justified but i i just look at this as like no, I didn't deserve to win. Like I, I didn't know what the cards in the format did.
0: Yeah, it's a thing that you could have known, right? And didn't. And that's
1: that's part of the game. You talked a lot last week about administration of game state, right? And like keeping the game clean. And and part of that is knowing what the cards do. And I failed at that. And that's that's just based on repetition. You know, had I played a bunch on the mono green side, maybe at some point I, I realized what this card can actually do. So. I only have myself to blame as I see it. I don't really feel like I was robbed or that I deserved a better result. I think I got exactly uh, the result that was justified for not knowing how these cards work. But you said something that I thought was like really funny. And keep in mind, as I tell the story, this is in no way me like trying to defect, deflect blame. I promise I have taken all the blame on myself. I am the reason why I did not succeed in this spot. But it is funny that... I, I lost to a tutorable artifact with three activated abilities on its front side and an entire full length sorcery on its back side because I didn't know my land, which destroys artifacts <laughs> was being used improperly. And obviously this planeswalker that can tutor on every single turn uh, was just able to find this very niche answer. And it's just like a very good illustration of, not just like jumping one shark but just jumping as many sharks as possible as far as like what the types of cards like like what cards are capable of for their types
0: yeah just like come on dude you didn't know this <laughs> like I, what the hell I didn't I, I but like
1: I said I should have like that's that's part of being no, a good I, magic player I, at this point
0: I'm being facetious man it's okay we did an entire podcast where we're talking about it right and I know that there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people who are listening to it, like pulling their hair out. Like, oh yeah, when oh, yeah, are these sure. idiots going to figure out that this is not what we talked about for 20 minutes? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Eventually us idiots came around and uh, pieced it together. But uh, yeah, a, a funny way to start off my PTQ season for sure. And one that's both a lesson and like uh, a, a weird summation of where magic design is at at this moment
0: should have played around it should have played around
1: it or, yep that i mean that sums it up right should have played around it
0: i mean could have in theory played around it yeah if you're if you're playing an absolute ton and obviously some of that is on your opponent but it's it's even funnier right that it's your opponent didn't know and they're the one who's playing the deck
1: yeah i, I it was my cards too like i i handed my opponent these cards so he could play them for the first time in this tournament. So he didn't know what the cards did either. Yeah. And like was shortcutting the same exact way I was. And when we actually like did the thing, nobody took restorative burst out of the sleeve and like flipped it over to look at the backside. So.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: It is, is what it is.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Cause I guess you cast it and then it goes to the graveyard, but gets exiled instead. Yep. So then it ends up back as the cauldron anyway. So why would you even flip it over?
1: Yeah. Who cares? It'll, it'll all sort itself out.
0: Yeah. Uh well with with that out of the way uh do you still like Lotus Field would you still play it do you have any Pioneer stuff coming up what do you have coming up
1: I don't have anything until uh Modern tournament next month that's the Ooh. next thing on my schedule Ooh. yeah so I have a, f- a few things going on you know I have a Flesh and Blood tournament this weekend and then I, I head to France for the Pro Tour so a uh, lot of stuff going on keeping me busy on that end but I, I am excited to like have a little time to figure out modern before that comes around uh you know probably just play the best deck I'll, I'll play your deck i'll trust you i think you you have this one figured out so uh any tweaks that you have going on that i'll make and i'll I'll be a, a four color grinder i'll even shuffle up the full 80 cards man i'll i'll do the work i'll figure it out and i'll mash them together in a nice big pile, and they're probably going to have to be double-sleeved, so we'll we'll work through it, though. I'll, I'll burp them, you know, the burping process where you put them down and you give them, like, that CPR maneuver where you kind of pump on them a little bit, and then I'll put some heavy books on top. We'll do it all. Yep. We'll make it work.
0: Yep. Hate it. Yep. I mean, alternatively, I could just mail you my deck which is single sleeved and i
1: I guess actually there's like time for that like i uh, part of the reason why i've never really considered that is because i don't want it to be like a rush thing and you know make you run to the post office and get here but if i know i'm not playing until september maybe i actually will take you up on that maybe that's the best way to handle this
0: no because my executive dysfunction only responds to to panic panic and deadline Mm. so You give me a couple weeks. It's like those weeks don't exist.
1: Yeah. All right. We'll check back in on this uh, about a week before. We'll we'll figure it out.
0: So played some Pioneer last week. Josh is going to play some Modern this week. And I I think we figured out a thing for that. I I don't know if it's better for... I think you should just play Elementals probably. Um, Okay but I think he figured out like a different thing that might be good. So we'll see how that goes. I'm not going to talk about that, but I will talk about the pioneer work that we did last week.
1: Cool. I'm, I'm excited to hear about that because that is where my focus has been thus far. And I think the format is moving some interesting places. I may have skipped your question. You asked if I still liked Lotus field at some oh, point. Oh yeah, 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 I, I do. I, I just like, there's no reason not to really like the metagame is not super hostile against it. You get to just like dodge a lot of, the nonsense that's going on i don't feel like you have staunchly unfavorable matchups and you do have some very favorable matchups if you know how to play them things like control feel extremely easy to me i i just think they're almost laughable uh the control players will tell you the opposite side of that by the way but i i just don't see it i think you just kind of set up and eventually you draw your thought distortion and you just fine and and get to do whatever you want so
0: yeah in the meantime they try and kill you with like a 1-1 shot in a Wandering yeah. Emperor, yeah.
1: yeah it, and it doesn't do anything. And it's it just feels totally fine on that side. So I think that series of matchup is good. If you, there's like a really miserable matchup, it's like the spirits type stuff. Yep. Like mono, mono blue spirits is really gross from the Lotus Field side, but there's not a ton of that floating around. And I, I think on the whole, I'd be pretty happy registering
0: Lotus Field again. So spirits floating around. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. My take on what people were going to be doing in pioneer was certainly informed by the internet and whatnot, but a lot of it too was playing the modern RCQs and hearing what had happened to people in their pioneer RCQs. Mm, Interesting. And it's, it's still so weird Uh, again, playing in like Northern Virginia, Southern Maryland, stuff like that. And there, there's so many stores in the area. And at this point, I, I mean, like Josh used to play in like some IQs and had, local store owners that he was friends with and stuff. So like, I, I feel like he's been to a bunch of the stores, but then we just keep finding these places that have RCQs and we go to them. It's like, Oh yeah, this store is like hella nice. It just turns out that they're just like a bunch of very good stores in the area and also a bunch of RCQs for people to play in. And there's been some overlap for the players at each event, but definitely not hundred percent, you know? So yeah. It's not even like there's oh this like regional Nova metagame or anything, so it's still you know pretty hard to pin down. Shouldn't be making any hard reads, but I was I was making kind of a hard read because kind of everything I heard fell under the same umbrella, which was just there's a lot of creature decks, mm. so a lot of a lot of humans, a lot of spirits, some mono green, and then there are things like Phoenix, the occasional control deck have still to this day not seen a lotus field which is weird i feel like if if people just want to do the you thing and like learn the deck then they'll they'll probably do pretty well but
1: it's mind-blowing to me it it really like i don't know how you could ever shuffle up the deck and play it and just be like no this can't hang in the format
0: because because it's annoying it's annoying it it is annoying
1: it is It's, it's a silly deck to have exist but usually when silly decks exist there, there's so, there's something to be said for them and uh, i don't think this is an exception
0: yeah like you know kci was around
1: yeah, for a for very a long, long time. time yep
0: and it was just like oh you know, it's a decked canister and matt play or whatever and then it's just like oh god ban this it's busted yeah. just get it yeah. out of here i'm not saying that lotus field is the same but it's having there's, it's, there's
1: similarities there for sure it's,
0: it's the same kind of effect where people are just like i'm not gonna pick it up yep
1: I agree. And maybe it'll take that like one more print to just be like, Oh, this is undeniable now. And then everyone plays it. But I, I think there was leer. Honestly, I I really do. Like, I just think that was the thing that completely opened the deck up.
0: Yeah, I believe that, but uh, I don't know. I'm an expert. I don't, I don't know what the fourth side of various cards does specifically. That is true.
1: Yeah. How can I, how can I say anything? I don't even know the format. I don't know what the back side of that card does. So, yep.
0: And I, I don't know. Lotus field has a lot of those cards where it's just, they they should have a scroll bar on the text, right? But they don't. So anyway, thought thought about the creature thing and and what to do. And I think that there's a lot of different ways you could go about it where, well, it probably means that spirit is not great. You're going to have some very polarizing matchups and something like Phoenix is good against some of the creature decks, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. You could make the argument that mono green potentially goes over the top of the creature decks and you have some pretty big walls to get in the way of their stuff and whatnot so there are a lot of different ways you could take it but the thing that i liked doing and thought would be really good was taking recto sacrifice and then going a little bit more creature heavy with of forgotten gods
1: mm-hmm. yeah we talked a bunch uh, over the last few weeks about how Priests of the Forgotten Gods could potentially slot into this format. Uh, so cool. I'm, I'm not super shocked to hear that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Josh lost playing for top eight in both the things. And it, I didn't watch all of his matches, but it was, it was pretty funny watching, I don't know, something like eight or nine games kind of late in the tournament where he's either like playing for top eight or it's the round before or something and never saw him draw a priest, never saw him... Uh, or like rarely saw him draw like deadly dispute village rights and like chain those together or whatever so the games i watched were just like so anemic and pathetic where it's like your hand is like oven claim push shambling Gast or whatever and then you just try and do something with that which mm-hmm. you, you you don't really have some any good draw steps in the first couple turns and then you're just like yeah i guess my turn 4 is buy gigantha turn 5 is cast gigantha or whatever it's like the, the deck looks so bad when when that's going on right so I don't know. Yeah, I think, do, you,
1: do you think this was a construction issue or just like a, a variance issue, and you caught the poor end of his draws, or what do you think was going on there?
0: I think that there's some stuff to do. I mean, i I tried to hedge a little bit for control, which maybe you didn't need to do, and things like Obnixilis main deck might have been worse than playing a couple of fables and just having the additional filtering and whatnot. But it's like mm-hmm. you have you have a bunch of unlucky witnesses and. Deadly disputes, in village rights, and priest also cycles. And are,
1: are you max on
0: all those cards? Not, no, not max. Okay. I mean, I have I have four witness, four priest, uh, three dispute, two village rights. Okay. And then for a little bit, I had a call of the death dweller too, which could you know rebuy the, yep. the priest, but or the witnesses. So I don't know, just, just from like gold fishing and like the initial playing that we did and stuff, it, it felt like it was enough. And then there were definitely games where you just like ran out of gas and it was pretty disappointing. So I don't know. In in hindsight, there's definitely something to fix there. And the the matches that Josh played against Mono Monogreen, it's one of those things where I like specifically call out like the bad scenario, right? It's like if if they are on, if they win the die roll, they're on the play game one and they have an elf. Yeah, That's the bad scenario, right? And that just happened to them both times. hmm And it's, I mean, it's not that unlikely, right? It's like, you know, coin flip, coin
1: flip. They always have an elf. They they basically move into an elf. Yeah.
0: Elf is like slightly higher to have it than not. And it's like, okay, they basically won two coin flips against him twice, which the more instances of that happening, the stranger it's going to be. But it's like, you know, if they're on the play, if you're on the play and they have an elf, you have a lot of ways to, kill it even outside of like the fatal push stuff because yep. you can shambling gas sack it to whatever. And you're generally in a pretty good scenario. Or even if you, if they have an elf and you get to play priest and then pass to them, they, they don't really have good recourse against that either. It's just like right. when you, specifically you're on the draw. So the mono green matchup is probably closer than I thought it was going to be. And then uh Phoenix game one is pretty bad, but I, I felt like we made that up in sideboarding. Okay. Yeah, I mean, overall, I I do think that yeah, if you're playing against a bunch of like tribal creature decks, human spirits, whatever, mayhem, devil, priest, forgotten gods, are just gonna absolutely crush people. And then I don't know, decks decks like control or like Rakdos mid range stuff like that are also pretty easy for the deck because you have a bunch of card advantagey things going on, you know. Yeah, you just grind it out. Yep. So it it didn't seem that bad to me. Obviously, Lotus Field was the one thing where it's like, yeah, you're probably dead, but you know, there are no Brian's here, so it'll be fine.
1: There's there's only one Brian, and uh, apparently that's true in this metagame as well, so (laughs) just keep doing your thing. Don't worry about Lotus Field.
0: See, I think Josh mostly lost to Mono Green and Phoenix, which is not a great place to be, but it's also like you can definitely beat those decks too. It just so happened that that was most of the stuff that they, that Josh played against and what the better players were playing and whatnot, so.
1: Can we talk about Mono Green for a little while?
0: I Uh, mean, if you want to, I I don't know what the 10-sided cards do, but okay I,
1: I, I think you'll know you'll know enough to to have some opinion on what's going on with this mono green deck it is uh you know we, we talked a bit about how like I bought into this deck you were very skeptical it sort of fell out of favor for a few weeks and we saw a lot of like life bane zombie hard hate floating around
0: oh yeah uh, oh I brought out. that stuff up to DC I was like I don't know if you want life banes or invoke despairs or whatever but you know we can we can hate on this deck as much as you want if you want to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would think about it. I, I think the deck is actually quite good, uh, quite flexible in how it's able to play games. Like, obviously, it just has these very explosive things. But Karn is Karn's a messed up card. Like, it it really is. Like one of the top ten Planeswalkers of all time, very easily, in my opinion. In, in this format in particular, it really hits the sweet spot of being like just fast enough to matter against everyone, I think. Like it, it even is super influential against like Lotus Field. And part of that is like obviously, you know, turn one elf. That that changes things a lot uh, for this card. But this combination of planeswalkers they're putting together is so interesting. And and the really interesting one I wanted to talk about are these bolus dragon gods that are now in the deck. And like no. the, fir- the first time I saw this, I was like, this is utter nonsense. This is a complete lark. The second time I saw it, there were two copies of Bolus Dragon God in the deck, and someone <laughs> went down much further. And it turns out now people are just like, this is an unshakable, indisputable part of the deck. You always have one. Part of it is that you can use it to enable one of your infinite plans, which is like, uh, whatever, I guess, like, sure. Do you think this it. actually answers a problem for the deck? Like, does this do anything that you couldn't do before?
0: That's kind of the problem to me is that it, it doesn't necessarily fix any problems unless you're talking specifically about, you know, maybe the mirror match.
1: Yeah, the mirror match is, is an interesting application for this. Even there, I feel like you could just find better tools if you really wanted to. Like, if that's what you were looking for, this can't be like the one best card you could possibly add to answer it. I feel like there's got to be something else you could consider. Yeah. I don't know what to make of this. My, my first impression was this is a very silly idea. The more people play with this deck, the more they seem to view it as indispensable. And I'm sort of defaulting to the knowledge of people who have played the deck more than I have. But I look at the abilities of this card and I'm like, I I don't really fear this whatsoever. I, I don't know why I would fear this. And basically it's just being used in some spots to draw your deck alongside the Chain Veil, which is fine. But like, if you're doing that kind of stuff, you can usually figure out a way to win anyway. And I, Correct. I don't know, man. I, I, I'm not sold yet. And someone's going to have to make a more compelling argument to me if they're going to sell me on this card. Uh, I, I think if you like have the one in your deck, it's probably fine. You probably get away with it. Like You, you mulligan very well. You do see a lot of cards in general. You see Oath of Nissa many, many games. So it's probably not going to bite you too many times. I am just not on board with it really solve anything for you either at this point
0: yeah i think it kind of showed up as as memes and definitely had some applications and people were at first they're like this is silly and then a lot of people got on board with it and then kind of like my last take on it was that people were just like okay never mind like we're sort of off this um but i i could definitely be wrong about that
1: yeah so mostly looking at results of the Two challenges this past weekend. That's all we really have to go on for, like "quote unquote" hard data. And there, there is a bolus uh, in in Beau Matt Courier, actually Bo Matt Courier, uh, a patron of ours, doing very well in these Pioneer challenges with Mono Green. So we could ask uh, their opinion, see what they think. But I, there's just not a lot of Mono Green in this particular sampling of Pioneer challenges. So I I can't really make a takeaway. All I know is that when I was looking at lists throughout the last few weeks, I've seen the numbers go up, not down. Like I've seen some people playing two copies, which was wild to me. And almost everyone has one at this point.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to stop you. Live your life.
1: There you go. Do you remember when this like uh, Oath of Nyssa thing to play an off-color Planeswalker first showed up? No. So I think of it in context of green white tokens which is really interesting given your relationship with that deck the first time i ever remember someone doing this i think chandra? it was yeah it was her chandra i, I think was, it was raf levy but i'm it not
0: was, it was raf yeah
1: was it yeah and i remember at the time being like this is nonsense why would you ever do this and then like playing the mirror the first time someone slammed a chandra against me i was like oh okay i i at least get how you get talked into it like it makes sense why you wanted to to take this lark
0: God, I mean, I could I could do multiple podcasts on Greenway tokens and have, uh, <laughs> but I could certainly do it again. And while that is an effective tool in the mirror, it doesn't mesh well with all of the other stuff that you want to be doing. At least the bolus does well, you know, like it does mesh with your overall plan and is an additional combo piece in addition to like a disrupting piece. But the the Chandra thing was like, yeah, it's it's like solid in a vacuum, but ultimately you're just trying to like build your board, do some stuff with Evo Leap, eventually cast Tragic Arrogance if you need to, you know? And the Chandra is just like, uh, I guess a thing you could do in the middle there if you wanted to, but it doesn't necessarily win you the game outright and it doesn't feed into what your game plan is ultimately going to be. So yeah,
1: it's almost a hedge in and of itself, right? Like its existence is designed to do so many things that you just would be better off in a lot of instances focusing in on the main thing you're trying to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I see the upside for it, but there then there are definitely the games where it's like keeping in the, the small Nyssa in those games where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, if you draw it, it's like an okay card, but it's not contributing to anything. Right. And the, the Chandra sort of does a similar thing where, yeah, maybe there's a specific instance where it ends up being okay, but ultimately it's, you're just going to draw it. And it's going to be like a ham sandwich compared to what you're trying to do. You know, it's like you, yep. you're you playing, you're playing burn and you draw like an archive trap or something. You're just like, okay, I guess I could mill them out, but like, really, is this going to happen? You know?
1: Yeah. The example I always like to use is like uh, mental misstep and legacy burn. I remember when that was popular for a long time, because was like, oh, I can interact with my opponents now. And it's like, well, actually, you just gave your opponent the game because that wasn't a burn spell that you could have played and advanced your plan. Like, you have to accept when you're playing burn, sometimes you just have to get more burn spells, and it's not about interacting. It's just about doing your main objective as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, I have to misstep their misstep. And it's like, well, you could just not draw that on turn eight or whatever and draw a yep. fire blast instead, you know? Yeah, probably better off. Yeah, I don't don't know. I I certainly like respect the fact that people are doing it. And as far as things to try, this is not very high up there on like the nonsense scale. Like it's a nonsense card, but it just happens to do a a few things that the deck actually wants to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, castable off of just oath is still very strange to me. And I don't like it.
1: Scary. It's scary for sure. Okay, that, that's about as much as I wanted to say about Mono Green because obviously Mono Green is now on my on my shit list for having too many words on its cards. So, <laughs> is there anything else you saw in your uh, PTQ experience that impressed you in terms of not your deck uh, things either Josh played against or just trends you saw throughout the weekend that really stood out to you?
0: It was pretty normal, you know. There there were definitely things that showed up. A open metagame,
1: wide open metagame?
0: Well, it, this the stuff that I described, like there was not a ton of humans. There were more spirits than I thought there would be. There was maybe not as much mono green, but you could tell that it was, you know, the the people who were plugged in online that were playing mono green. Also the people who were probably able to switch decks or like acquire cards easily mm-hmm. were the ones playing mono green. So you know, if if you were a person who was like, well, I'm just playing like my Pioneer deck or whatever, it's very unlikely that you chose that deck. But because it's like relatively new, and also because it's like pretty complicated, and
1: weird. Uh, there's always been like some version of Mono Green though, as part of the Pi- Like it was it was the first deck of Pioneer, right?
0: Yes, but also the deck was much different then, right?
1: Oh, for sure, for sure.
0: You know, and, it, you
1: know, and this a deck, and
0: you have you have the planeswalkers from the Festival Cavalier, the Troll. Like that's twenty cards different than than what it used to be
1: yeah yeah
0: like i've i've played mono green devotion in standard pioneer and modern and if i tried to build that deck from the cards in my collection i would fall very short
1: no that's fair i i same exact place as you where i've played devotion in every single conceivable format and i had to order a bunch of cards so i feel you
0: yeah so i i don't know i mean the there wasn't a lot of Rakdos Sacrifice, but I think that like Sacrifice was pretty firmly like tier two, maybe even like tier point five kind of stuff where mm. it had its niche and it was pretty good at that. And then people were mostly just like, well, this Rakdos range deck also kind of cleans up the creature decks and is just like a little bit solid, a little bit more solid against everything else. So we'll just keep doing this. But I don't think people really iterated on the Rakdos sacrifice decks to the point where instead of, you know, you're just updating it with like new, you know, people putting blood tithe harvester in their sacrifice deck. It's like, yeah, that's fine, but you could actually like try and build a cohesive package and get something that's actually just like really good in the metagame. And it doesn't seem like people have really taken those steps. I think that that priest is like a pretty obvious solution for a lot of this stuff.
1: Right there with you. Uh, you mentioned, Red Black midrange and people moving to that. If you look at Pioneer Challenge results from this weekend, so we have four top slots. Three of them are claimed by Red Black midrange. Uh, first and second in the Sunday or excuse me, the Saturday event and then first in the Sunday event. Seems to be the top deck right now. Uh, this is a deck that like is pretty far outside the range of what I want to play. In a format like this, Uh, it it needs to be sort of tailored towards what you expect. But I've been thinking about it a bit more. And I I don't think this is as as bad of a mid-range deck as it appears to be on its face at first blush. Because basically every single card in this deck is two cards, if not more. So we start with Chandra, which obviously four modes. Removal spell, card advantage, ramp, whatever it wants to do. Blood Tithe Harvester, a 3-2, that's also removal. Graveyard Trespasser, Graveyard Hate, plus, you know, persistent damage. Khaledus, same type of setup. Croxa, discard, plus direct damage, plus huge body, plus recursive threat, all t- tacked on. Then we have our removal spells, but even there, something like cut to ribbons showing up. Which functions as both removal spell and direct damage. Bone Crusher Giant is just two cards stapled together. Unlicensed Hearst is your graveyard hate, as well as a source of damage. And then Fable of the Mirror Breaker, again, one of those cards that just kind of does a little bit of everything threat, yeah. ramp, card drawing. And when you start to look at it that way, you're just like, well, if all of my cards can do everything, then mid range actually makes sense. You're not dealing with traditional mid range problems where you you know, are doing one thing in one game and another thing in another game, you just get to choose what thing you do all the time. And I think that's so key for this deck's success. And it's also working out in its favor that one of the big things pushing me away from this deck is I felt like it could be completely fine, but you have to kind of gin it. Like you have to have the right setup. You need to know exactly what sideboard slots you need to dedicate towards what matchups. And that was just not a position I was ever going to be in for this Pioneer season. So I didn't want to go ahead and try and do that. I don't think it's as bad as I made it out to be. There is still some of that. You certainly, you know, the right number of lifebane zombies and go blanks and all of that stuff is going to be very, very important. But the modality of all these cards is covering up a lot of typical mid range weaknesses. And I, I am mostly a believer at this point. Again, I, I don't think it's the right deck for me. I think it's one of those decks though, that it's really good at letting better players beat up on less experienced players, because you do have that decision-making ability. You, are able to shape the games in the way you want. And it's just like pretty consistent too. With all your cards doing multiple things, you generally get to sculpt your hand and participate in every game. So that's that's a really nice place to be for a season where you're trying to kind of exploit some skill differentials.
0: The thing that I don't like about this deck and isn't necessarily a large problem, but certainly could be a problem and is the way I bet you lose a lot of your games is just falling behind on mana usage effectively where mm-hmm. you know it's the same thing with like mono green being on the play with an elf or whatever and they play like a, a troll into like a kiura and another spell into like Karn and another spell and you're just like oh, i'll dread bore that or whatever you know yeah, you the catch-up
1: mechanisms are not there
0: right and you're you're playing everything on your face like yeah your cards are are modal but you have to spend like 2 or 3 or 4 mana for all of your stuff and you're getting decent rates but if your opponent has a good draw and they're doing the stuff with like the really good rates you are probably just going to fall behind and yeah no no way to really come back from that outside of you know you make some of that stuff up in the sideboard with like life bane invoke despair whatever but that that's my my big issue but it, it shouldn't really happen all that much and like i said you can you can sideboard around it for sure
1: yeah, I think also people are opting out of doing the things that get those ridiculous returns on rates. Like we're talking about people refusing to show up uh with Lotus Field. I mean, I'll I'll play Lotus Field into this deck all day. And and yes, they course, have their they have their Thoughtsies, they have their duress, they have their go blank. Those are nice tools. I'm not saying you, you know, you walk all over this deck, but you're still very happy to play it and you will win more games than you lose. Even if it's only slightly in Lotus Field's favor, I still am quite sure it is in Lotus Fields' favor. But people just aren't doing those types of things. They're not putting you in the grinder. And if we look at this, you know, this body of of these two tournaments, there's only a few decks that I would classify as like really trying to sidestep the type of stuff that these mid-range decks are very good at answering. So things like Phoenix are very much participating in this game, this resource game where they're trying to accumulate a graveyard and, you know, they're trying to eke out advantages. I believe Rakdos can crush those type of setups. Things like Spirits, you know, they're, they're not particularly fast. They're not snowballing the game. They're m- not making those huge plays. They're just eking a little value here or there. I mean, theoretically, there's Collected Company, but we know that card just misses all the time anyway. So that's not going to get you ahead. And that's really the all, even if you want to pretend like it does something, that's the only tool you have to really pull ahead like that and get that mana advantage. Um, no, I
0: would I would want to focus on Curious Obsession and Guys Light Snare.
1: Sure. Yeah, th- that makes sense to me. And and that's one of the reasons why I've said throughout, uh, I think the mono blue setup is a little bit better because you, you can do things like that and you can just go ahead and snowball the game really hard on these mid-range decks and, and possibly find an advantage that way. So I, I think the reason this deck is having so much success has a, f- a few very, very... Good reasons. There's the fact that it is just a well constructed deck. It does a bunch of things really well. I also just think people are kind of letting it run free and are, are content saying, "Like, no, I can beat this." deck and really not giving it the respect it deserves. I think the metagame is going to have to shift around red black. I don't think you're going to be able to like force it out with your sideboard choices or your deck construction choices. I I, I think it's got to be actual deck selection and it's yeah. got to be some of these bigger hammers that swing really hard at these type of strategies.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I if there were more control decks, like bigger control decks, I think if it's if it's blue-white and they're just trying to like, you know, wanderer and trade fairly, I, I can see how the Rakdos deck would win or whatever. But if you're playing yeah. like a super, super hard control deck where you go really big, then I think Rakdos is probably just gonna have like too many dead cards, not enough of a clock, whatever, and it's it's gonna be pretty tough for them. But those kind of decks would need to be good in the metagame. And it's getting to the point where it is now because of the prevalence of Rakdos or, you mm-hmm. know, Rakdos is a thing now and maybe stuff like Lotus field can come out to play because when these decks started, they had like the damping spheres or moons in the sideboard. And I, I see, you know, the occasional Alpine moon, Yeah, but yep. they're, definitely like, they're definitely just like, they're definitely just like, ah, you know, uh, there's not much Lotus field. How much do we actually have to care about this? Probably not at all. Yeah. and it's, it's time to get punished
1: i, I think so and it was really interesting too to mention like you you were describing how the control decks aren't really doing a good job of going over the top but obviously like Urian control decks exist right there are tools in this format to do fires of invention Urian type setups where you're just absolutely massive but they're not choosing to do things like that and maybe correctly so for like the broader metagame but as soon as the focus comes up on this very fair mode of Rakdos, I I do think you can start to look towards those type of strategies again and just absolutely bury them in endless advantage and and they can't keep up with things like a Yuri and you know generating four or five cards worth of value. It's it's just not realistic.
0: Yeah, where's where's the enigmatic incarnation deck? Oh, here we go. Eleventh place. Yep, on seven thirty.
1: Yep. Yeah, this is a really good example of exactly how the format could start to shift to punish these. And there's also like there's something uh, in third place in the other event, like the Titan of Industry Transmogrify deck, which is a, a little bit more vulnerable. Like these decks obviously do a pretty good job of interacting with creatures at instant speed, but still, eventually there is like a large enough setup where this can just go over the top and and maybe blow something up. So I think things like that are interesting as well.
0: Yeah, a person at one of the PTQs had me look at their deck. And it was, it was pretty similar to this and we got to yeah. talk about it a little bit. It was, it was pretty interesting, but yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. They, they started with like fires, Yurian from, uh, Nassif I think is who they mentioned. Okay. But it was like the same kind of deal. And I don't know. I, I tried some of this, obviously it's different, but I tried some of this stuff in Explorer and then you play against the Rakdos decks that just have a bunch of fatal pushes and stuff. And it's just like, Oh, like their bad removal spells are actually kind of live against you Mm. yeah i I think fires is very good very underplayed and i honestly did not expect to see an enigmatic incarnation deck in the thing but then i just like i was like ah, i think it's probably a good time for that and i scrolled down it's like oh there it is okay cool yeah
1: yeah yeah i i quite like these strategies i played them a bit uh in in standard when it was viable and you know it's just yuri and stuff it just absolutely snowballs advantages and goes over the top of everything and you see like particularly this list hard dedication to yuri and strategies things like yarik the desecrated in the list and you can just go absolutely off and that's it's not something we mentioned how like rakdos has to control the snowball and they do have good tools for doing it that's the things they're never going to have just these like get completely blown up matchups it's it's the jun thing all over again where if you're if your thought season and clocking really well you're not going to have to face that type of thing and people really like having that level of agency over their ptq results so it's very clear that this should be a popular deck especially on magic online like that's the type of player who really wants to be playing this type of thing um so maybe it's still a little underrepresented live i would say because i agree with you my anecdotal experience was not a ton of this deck around and maybe there should be more of it. So it could be a little soon if you're trying to make like something bordering on a harder read where you're trying to target this deck a little bit. I don't think we're at that stage yet, especially in the IRL metagame. Maybe online, but I would pump the brakes a little bit if you're headed to an RCQ this
0: week. Yeah, IRL is a little tough because like I noted you can kind of get a sense for what is happening in the area or what happened on a particular day. But then the next day is at a different store on a different side of the state or whatever, and not all the same people are going to be there. Right. So there, it is really difficult to pin this stuff down. And I think that although this is more of like a soft read than a hard read with playing anti-creature Racto sacrifice, because there are still just a lot of creature decks. I think that, Maybe it was focusing a little bit too much on one thing and also was not doing as good of a job as something like Phoenix or Rakdos Midrange or the Mono Green Devotion deck where you can just get carried some amount of times based on power, right? Yep. Whereas yep. the Sacrifice deck had 12 one mana, one ones. And granted, those cards do stuff, right? But... Yep you're not going to be blowing people out of the water very often with those cards. And those were definitely the games where Josh was struggling was when he was a little bit more anemic and looking for spots to gain favorable trades. But it, it wasn't like your opponent was playing like Kithian or Dauntless Bodyguard or whatever, where you just automatically got to make those things happen. So things could have been a little bit different if you were just, you know, playing Phoenix and cashing Treasure Cruise and having a fistful of cards or making 15 mana with devotion and stuff. So in a way, kind of just making it harder on him too for basically no reason. So I think. It was worth the experiments because I did feel like it was time to maybe cash in on some of that. And if Mm -hmm. there was a time to play a better game deck, then it would have been then. And I had a good idea for what it could be, but. I kind of cautioned against it before we started all this, where it's just like, that's, that's probably not a good thing to be doing. And sure enough.
1: Yeah, it's tough. It's, it's tough making uh, that type of call. And then you're, you're always second guess, just be like, well, why didn't I just play the dummy deck and you know get these powerful wins out of nowhere? I, I guess at this point, there's always next week. It sounds like, particularly in Josh's area, he has access to unlimited PTQs and can just go play as much as he wants. So not a bad spot to be in. I don't, I don't know. There was some interesting discussion this week about like the state of PTQs and now you've been to a lot, uh, five total you've attended at this point mm, Four.
0: we definitely did the two modern and the two pioneer. Oh, and then Josh went to one that was small store, small cap was capped. And so he, he could have like gotten on the list, but he was just like, no, this, this place is like too cramped and. Yep. Whatever. I'm just going to leave. Which yep. great decision.
1: Yeah, I feel that 100%. All right, so like, you know, four or five PTQs in, what's kind of your review of the way things are going this far? How how has your experience been? How has, you know, the, have the stores seemed prepared? What's what's the judging been like? That's been the hot topic of discussion this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, all the events have had one judge that that I could tell.
1: And a capable judge or? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I I think that that's been okay. And I don't know, man, you, you also shared the thing from your PTQ where the TO, you know, didn't check a box or check the wrong box or whatever. And it, it didn't pair the top eight by seed. And then y'all just like took over and we're like, we're fixing it. You know, we're just going to run it this way. And I, I feel like a lot of that stuff could happen, right? Like, especially in the later rounds of the tournament where, the players have just been doing this stuff for so long. Like it, it, it doesn't take a lot to actually run the event post pairings and hope that nothing comes up and nothing happens. Right. But like, obviously you feel so much better as a player having a good judge there. Right. Do you think there
1: should be a requirement to have a judge there?
0: Yeah. I, I I mean, I do, but it, it, it's so bad. It's like the, the store gets charged for the kits and then, then they have to pay someone else. And then, they, you know, don't have the best prize support or whatever because they're already in the hole and then the players complain. It's just like, God damn, why, why can't we just make this a, a little bit easier on them? Like they are definitely providing a service and are trying to make money. They are They are a business. Like I'm not going to support them being like really underhanded and greedy and stuff like that. But it's not like that, you know?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think PTQs uh, should cost quite a bit more than they do, frankly. I mean, I think that's the only way to really make them sustainable and m- make it something that stores are going to be interested in. And I I know that sucks. Like, I, I trust me, I want everyone to be able to play cheap PTQs.
0: I, you know what? If your event is capping, you probably should have charged more.
1: Yeah, I think even in cases where it doesn't cap, like, like I I mentioned my PTQ was $10, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think every single person in that room was coming. If it was twenty dollars, I think there's a good chance they show up. If it's, it's twenty five, maybe at thirty, you st- you lose one. Yeah, and th- this
0: is this is not about greed. This is about like fair market price and what people are willing to pay without right. feeling exploited. And then also you do stuff like that and. You can increase the prize pool, and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to like all go to the store's pockets or whatever. You can pay a but, judge.
1: I, I mean, that's yeah, that's the thing or, that I really come back to. Is for me, the, the thirty dollar expense versus a ten dollar expense would be entirely worth it, just knowing a judge would be there. a, yes. a good, well trained judge.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really think about that because our events all had a judge, right? So yeah. that that was getting handled. I don't know if you know the store was happy or the judge was happy or, or what the arrangement was or whatever. But I hope that that's the case. But yeah, for for your event to not have a judge and be ten dollars, it's like this doesn't make sense. No, it does
1: not. And obviously, uh, it presented itself as a very real problem in a very real way in in Brazil this past week. So uh,
0: what I, happens?
1: I, I, look, I'm not going to give the the details just because I don't want to misquote anything. Okay. I, the story's out there for people to look at. Uh, very well known magic online grinder.
0: Seemingly uh, okay.
1: Influenced uh, a judge to make a very, very ridiculous judge call. Uh, was subsequently dropped by his team slash publishing place after it was found out about. So you can go find the controversy. I don't want to rehash it all here, but it's it's not going to be an isolated incident. Like it's going to be something that comes up a bunch and you, you have to make these events welcoming for all these new players that we've added. Like they have to be enjoyable, they have to be. And this is why I like got so mad about the people who are just kind of like being obnoxious at a PTQ. Like are you are you happy here? Do you want these things to happen? Because if if you do, you need to welcome new people in and you need to make it a place where people want to be. And if you have cheating problems and judging problems and attitude problems and, you know, generally unwelcoming environments, It's just not going to happen. It's not gonna. It's not gonna last. This tournament structure is not going to be able to succeed, and you know it's kind of already got a bunch of things stacked against it. It sounds like things in Europe are not going particularly well. It sounds like the large events in particular are really, really struggling there, and people are not happy with anything. Really, anything. I I haven't heard anything good (laughs) about what's going on in Europe. So, yeah, there's some there's some problems right now, and I think it is important for both the community and the people running these events to think about how to solve them and what their role is in sort of addressing them. And I think some of that is just like, we might have to be prepared to take some higher prices on the chin. You might have to be prepared to not be a jerk. I know that's a big ask for a lot of people, <laughs> but it's what's going to take for the this, this system to work.
0: I know that different people respond differently to stimuli, right? And- mm-hmm, of course. For the people being jerks at the PTQs, I definitely want to say something to them to the effect of like, you know, hey, this is not okay. Or, you know, this is a punishment or a slight embarrassment or or something that will maybe cause you to rethink your decisions. And, you know, g- generally I lead with like talking to them potentially, but... Mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't always work. You know, if someone is already kind of like in, in that space it's probably because they have been talked to before and it has not worked. So I don't know. I, I want, I want that stuff to get handled over time. And I, I think that with maybe negative reinforcement or whatever, it, it could get there, but it's, it's hard because you don't know exactly what is going to work best on someone.
1: That, that's true. That's true. I, I, I can look back my own experience. I actually remember Josh one time pulled me aside something I did. And it was like, eh, I didn't, I didn't really like that you did that. And I listened to him and thought about it. And then ultimately was like, you were right. I shouldn't have done that. That was dumb. Hmm. And, and then I apologized for it. I am grateful. He took the time to tell me that and was comfortable enough to tell me that, like that was worth a lot to me, but you're right. Most people, I, I won't say most people, a lot of people wouldn't respond that way. A lot of people would be defensive or double down on their behavior and yeah. Uh, make it even worse. I mean, is it something you've seen on your end too? I know I was the one sharing the story last week, but have you seen some of that behavior as well?
0: Not as much, like not as bad. I think, okay. you know, maybe it's the crew of people who are aware of the PTQs or the the people that I'm within earshot of their conversations of, or whatever, you know, just like Alex Majlatan, Tommy Ashton, you know, those sorts of people who are just 10 plus year veterans yep. of the game with multiple yep. pro tour appearances, you know, it's just like, they're, they're not going to be like that. Right. And for the most part, all the people that have come up to me and been like, you know, Hey, like your podcast or whatever. And then we talk about something to do with the event or their deck or what, like all of those people have been really nice. And yep. I haven't heard Agreed. too much in the way of like, Oh, you know, this, this person sucks. So I, I think cool. I'm, I think I'm just running good. Pretty fortunate. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. And I, I look, I've heard other
1: people say similar things and a lot of people having a really great time. And I'm stoked to hear that. I'm, I'm glad a lot of these events are going pretty well. Certainly a mixed bag. I don't want to paint a doom and gloom scenario, but I, I think they could be better in a lot of spots and I think they will get better if we keep working on it. So
0: The problems that I see so far is that it's hard to find a schedule and like we we knew that these events were coming down the pipeline for a while, and then it was just like, oh, the schedule went up. They're happening next month, yeah. And then you just suddenly have to plan for eight weeks of stuff. And it's a
1: long season, man. It's it's a real yeah, long and season.
0: and the schedule is not complete. So just occasionally yeah. there are like random yeah. things popping up on the schedule that weren't there before, and then, so it's it's just weird. And the, the stores have not been super great at advertising their stuff, which. I don't know. I don't know what a store is supposed to be focusing on. Like, does it really matter if your website is constantly updated? Like, are people really checking that? Or should you be focused on like your newsletter or your Facebook page more? I don't don't have an answer for that. Or is it just you're you're relying on like local word of mouth or something? Well, I don't know. You go on the website and it's like they're on the schedule. Maybe they're not on the website or maybe it's just like, Here, go to our Facebook page. It's like, I don't have Facebook anymore. Like, what the hell, you know? But then the Wizards website and their website say that they're different start times or different entry fees and you know.
1: I've seen that. Yeah.
0: It's just stuff like that where it's like, ah, I don't I don't really like this. I wish that it was done a little bit better. I wish that there was a more centralized hub with this information, or even like the, the wizards event locator has a lot of information about the event but it's generally just like kind of nonsense, right? It's like, oh, come into this store and play modern. And it's just like, you don't need to write out the words with a descriptor, right? right? Just like
1: standardized form. We'll get the job done.
0: Right. Like cost, date, start time, format, maybe prizes if there is room for it or whatever, like location, what the the cap is, just that stuff, right? That's all you need.
1: Look, I, I know a lot of people who want to like find their in, to magic content and find their their niche and find their way to get on people's radar. Kids out there are probably too young for mtgmom.com. Yep. Com, yep. But uh mtgmom run I, I her name is escaping me right now. Who was Megan Yeah, d- did an incredible job forever. basically taking the entire PTQ schedule just putting it on a calendar and letting the entire world be able to see what events were coming. Uh, Maybe it was like US focused, but everyone I knew was just like, if you need to know what's going on, you go to mtgmom.com and you'll know exactly what the schedule is. Certainly an opportunity for someone out there if you want to make a brand to just get all this information, comb through the complexities of the wizard store locator and put it all in a readily accessible form, searchable, uh, laid out in a calendar, and you you will get people to your website. I promise you.
0: Well, Anderson LeClaire was pretty serious about This PTQ season, and when the stuff got posted, he made a Google sheet for all the events that he was thinking about going to, and I was just like, "Yeah, send me send me the link to that, so I don't Mm -hmm. have to do the work," you know. So I kind of had like my own thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. He, there's
1: there's other stuff like that going on, like people have sent me spreadsheets that are like, "Here's the ones in my area," and the area, like like Pika sent me one for. The tournaments he was going to, but are just kind of like a little bit outside of my range and not covering some of the other places on my range. yeah,
0: so, so, so you see like the mass focused ones or whatever, yep. but yeah. Yep. It, so, for Anderson's like east of me, right? And then I was talking about going up to DC where, you know, I have reason to go up there because Joe lives there, but like maybe Anderson doesn't want to go up there because it's a little bit further than he would like to travel or whatever. So, yeah, I see Anderson's thing, which is pretty good and fairly encompassing for me. But then there's also like the entirety of Maryland that I need to look into. So, yeah, yeah, it is. It is definitely not perfect. Uh, we have ways to figure out things for maybe our own area or backpack off of someone else's work, you know. But uh, yeah, if there was just a, a better way to do it, it would just be so nice. And it would be great if Wizards in, invested in that. But I understand why they don't. What's the return? Nothing. Are, are people going to go to the events? Did the stores already buy the kits from them? Yes. So, why why should they care?
1: I I do not have answers to that question anymore, because all evidence points to the fact that they should not care based on how much money they're making. So, keep keep doing you, wizards. <laughs> enjoy enjoy those dollars.
0: Yeah, but I don't know, man. Especially after like pandemic shutdowns and stuff like that. Like I realized that magic still sold pretty well, but not all stores were you know, hundred percent reliant on magic or whatever. And they still lost whatever, like foot traffic and just so many other things. Right. Like the, the stores almost certainly did not do well when,
1: Oh sure. But they, they don't give a shit about the stores like that.
0: that I know, but they should, that that's kind of the point that I'm getting to is like, all right, so you have these guidelines in place for what is, you know, WPN, WPN premium, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, you reach this certain threshold and like, now we will allow you to buy a PTQ kit from us. It's like, really just give it to them. I don't know, man. Why why are you nickel and diming a store for like a hundred bucks when you're a billion dollar corporation? I, I just don't
1: get it. Well, I guess what they're actually doing is like nickel and diming the people they contracted to. And obviously like most time those, those contracts will go to the lowest bidder and the way these lowest bidders are making their money for their involvement in the scenario which may or may not be a lot of money i honestly have no idea uh like yeah. anecdotally i know i was always told when cfb like picked up the the gps that they lost a shit ton of money doing that anecdotally i don't know if that's true or not so don't quote me on that but if, if it was true, then that kind of goes against the idea of, oh, just raking in money hand over fist. I mean, maybe DreamHack is taking a bath on trying to run these tournaments thus far. I have no idea. If that's the case, though, you can understand why all this nickel and diamond is going on.
0: For DreamHack, it's weird, though, because they have this big convention center thing that they were already going to be doing anyway. So how much does that sliver of space cost you in the grand scheme of things? And it is probably a lot. You know, it's, it's not like, oh, yeah, we just have the extra space, whatever. And you got to imagine that anything that is on the floor is bringing them in a bunch of money. So then if they're taking the magic stuff on themselves like that, that's someone else who could have been paying for your your show space. So I don't know, but it, it does seem like so small compared to the rest of their organization that, yes, if they are hemorrhaging like a little bit of money just to do magic specifically, it's probably not that much. You know, it's not definitely not going to make or break them versus like
1: it's not. But the, but the way that's going to work is like there's going to be a, a like a, a section of the company that's in charge of the magic portion. And they're going to be asked to make money. And the oh, people yeah. in and charge then, of that section are going to have
0: and basically every, their asses on the line. Every everyone else in time. the company is going to try and like railroad the magic portion or whatever. Or just be yeah. like, yo, you should you, did you guys quit that yet or.
1: Right that's just how these things go when you're dealing with like large companies. And you know, it's a lot of what influences Wizards decision-making as part of Hasbro. And if a company's ever doing like more than one thing, it's, it's never as clear cut as you would expect it to be. Like there's always internal politics and uh, profit allocation going on. So it's, it's worth keeping sight of that when you're pondering these things.
0: Yeah. I mean, outside of the, the minutiae, the details, the specifics for the the stores and the PTQs and stuff. My, my main thought is just that wizards could do so much more to help stores that would cost them very little. And then they just don't. It's not like they do zero, right? Like they do do some things, but it's definitely not as much as they could be doing. And... I think that, especially now, they, they probably have re- less reason to actually care and to try and keep stores afloat, whereas before, I think they believed that they needed the stores, and mm-hmm. I, I think we talked about this before, where it's like, yeah, oh, if they're just moving a bunch of stuff on Amazon, then they have way less reason to actually care, but I wish that they would. Me too. Me too. Whatever. Uh, end of the day, Pioneer, play play a busted deck. You are not going to have as good of matchups as something like four color in modern, for example, but think that you're going to get some free wins and even your bad matchups are probably not that bad. And then just the power level of the deck is going to carry you. And I think that that's worth so much more than metagaming and trying to be cute, whatever. And then Agreed. agreed. Yeah. For, for modern, I would just, I would still play four color, but I think that there are merits to exploring, you know, dip, blue red and different versions of it and trying to figure out what the best thing to be doing there is, or I don't know. It, it's so funny because like we, we went to these modern PTQs and there's just no living in like no cascade at all. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. I think the, the cascade deck that I saw was the uh, glimpse one.
1: And right. then interesting
0: watch Josh play a league on magic online. He plays against living in three times in one league or whatever. It's like, <laughs> damn,
1: yeah. Different worlds for sure. Uh, for for my end, if I was playing modern, uh, four color, or Titan, just based on historical precedent and me thinking that deck is still completely fine.
0: Amulet just did well this weekend. There was a energy events. Yep,
1: yep. I, I, it always remains a reasonable choice if you have your experience in and, uh, and you know like what you're tweaking against. So can't really go wrong with that. Uh, on the Pioneer side, I still believe in Lotus Field. I still think mono green is a really strong choice uh, that can change really quickly if people decide they're sick of it. So be aware of that. And I think you're totally justified if you think you have a skill edge and you are very in tune with the metagame, know your sideboard plans really well. I think uh Rakdos mid range is also a very good choice.
0: And I think a lot of what you said for Rakdos is true of Phoenix too. Oh
1: uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, very much in the same vein. Good point.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I didn't see a lot of life bane zombies, but it's just one of those things where, you know, the more PTQs go on, the more Mono green shows up, the more winning it does. People just get sick of it. And then you just start seeing like life bane zombies sold out at this store or whatever. Yep. It's like, Oh no.
1: Yeah. It's weird though. Like it's not the be all end all against Mono green. Like, no, it's not. It's just, just good. Like, very zombie proof in a lot of ways. Um, But yeah, I I wouldn't want to play against it for, you know, 10 rounds.
0: It's it's like being zombie on top of like Thoughtseize and the removal, you know, it is more about just like restricting your resources while actually clocking you. And it does attack planes. It's another two
1: cards in one, right? Like you're splitting the card in half again, but like very efficiently and on both sides.
0: Yeah. And then invoke despair is just a pretty good cleanup card. Mm -hmm. So I, I like that plan. I think it's good if you expect a bunch of mono green, by all means do that. Uh, I don't think we're in the old standard world where you consider main decking life main zombie or anything like that, no. especially in these smaller events. But if you want to hammer the green decks in the sideboarding games, you definitely could do that. I, I brought a bunch of like life zombies, self-inflicted wounds, like whatever, just in case we had an inkling that maybe this was something we would need to do or whatever, but it did not come to fruition. So game game. GG Good luck